to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Today, we're talking about mental agility or psychological flexibility. Essentially, this means being able to respond to circumstances in the most helpful way possible, as opposed to using the same method to solve every single obstacle that we encounter. We all have certain go-to coping strategies and problem-solving skills that we turn to. Those strategies work in some cases, but sometimes we get stuck in these patterns where we keep reaching for the same things, even though they aren't a good fit for the situation. And then we get frustrated when our lives just don't get any better. Just like you might have a toolbox in your house and you might reach for a hammer in one situation, but you need a wrench in another situation. We all need a variety of psychological tools we can reach for in different circumstances. Being psychologically flexible not only means we have the tools that we need, but it also means we understand when we should use the different tools that we have. Learning to become more psychologically flexible can help us solve problems better. It's also associated with lower rates of depression and anxiety and lower levels of stress. The good news is all of us can learn how to increase our mental agility. And here to talk about how to do that is Dr. Elaine Fox. She's a psychologist and a performance coach, as well as the author of a new book called Switchcraft. Her research has found that an agile mind helps you thrive in any situation. Some of the things she talks about today are how to develop a more agile mind, the benefits of doing so, and the exact steps you can take to increase your psychological flexibility. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Dr. Fox's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Dr. Elaine Fox on how increasing your mental agility will help you grow mentally stronger. Elaine Fox, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Hi, Amy. Thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. So you wrote this book called Switchcraft, The Hidden Power of Mental Agility. So I would imagine a lot of people are going to say, wait, what's mental agility? So maybe we should start there. Can you explain what mental agility means? Absolutely. Well, mental agility is really, in psychology, we often call it psychological flexibility. So it's the um, the idea that, you know, rather than being very rigid in your way of thinking or in how you're feeling or in how you're doing things, to just really loosen up a bit and to try out different activities and try out different things. Um, and I, I heard a funny story once in London, actually, which I can explain to you, which uh, actually made me laugh out loud on the train. So I heard about a group of um, pretty probably not, not very competent bank robbers or, or shop robbers. They they actually held up a, a store, a grocery store. Um, and, and one of them was using a, the, the getaway vehicle was actually a bus. He was a bus driver. So they were using the bus as the getaway vehicle. And um, having successfully you know, robbed this uh, store, thankfully nobody was hurt, um, they got into the bus and made their getaway. Um, but the police very quickly realized that the bus was following the normal route 
<laughs> so, you know, it, it was actually, it's kind of a funny story. It literally made me laugh out loud. But um, what I realized actually when I heard that story was it really does highlight a fundamental principle of psychology. And, and that is that when we're really under pressure, we tend to act in very rigid ways. Um, so obviously that bus driver, he was under pressure, uh, didn't quite know what to do. So actually he did the normal thing. He just followed his normal bus route, which clearly wasn't the, be- the best thing to do in that situation. So I suppose mental agility is the opposite of that. It's actually even under real pressure, being able to be flexible and to see the best solution in whatever situation you're in. That's a great example uh, of how we tend to solve problems the same way, right? We approach the problem, we feel the same, feel the same way, think the same way, and then do the same things and get stuck in these patterns, right? And we don't even recognize how to get out of them. Like sometimes we'll know, hey, I'm, I'm doing something and this isn't helpful, but yet we keep doing it anyway and we can't figure out how to get out of it. I think as humans... A lot of what we do is more predictable than we think it is, right? It really is. And we tend to get very stuck. And it's a very natural thing. And it actually, it's, our brain actually likes that because it's, it's ironic in some ways, you know, because the brain is designed to be very mentally agile. It's actually designed to be flexible and to be really flexible. But actually, the brain doesn't like using energy. So the brain needs a lot of energy to operate. And, and of course, if you get into habits or get into rigid ways of doing things, um, that's very easy for the brain. You don't, it doesn't have to think too much from moment to moment. So actually, you know, we, we do tend to, we can quite easily get stuck. You know, while habits can be a good thing, um, it can lead to us getting stuck. And and as you say, always trying to solve problems in the same way or do things in the same way, even though we might know that they don't work. <laughs> they haven't worked in the past. So, but we somehow keep doing the same things and hope that things will change in the future. So, you know, I think you know, being agile and flexible is actually, um, ideally, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's linked to much more resilience than a resilient way of, of dealing with life, really. Yeah, you've done some research and you've discovered that people who are agile and psychologically flexible tend to be happier, more successful, right? Their lives are better overall. What are some more of the benefits that we get when we start to be more flexible? Absolutely. So we did a big study where before um, I moved, I've actually moved to Australia now, but I was in Oxford for quite a long time before that. And we did a really large study when I was in Oxford with over 500 uh, teenagers. So we started studying them when they were about 12 years old and followed them all the way through to about 17 or 18. Um, and we measured a whole range of things. We looked at genetics. We looked at cognitive biases, as we call them. We looked at lots of different questionnaires of different things. And one of the things that really stood out was this kind of mental agility really did um, was associated with resilience. So you know, those kids who were able to kind of find different solutions, to try out different things, they were the ones who really were much more kind of resilient um, and, and just kind of able to cope better with uncertainty. And um, because a lot of the book is about really how we deal with uncertainty and how we cope with uncertainty. And of course, none of us like that. You know, we like to feel safe and secure, which is obviously very appropriate. Um, but that can lead into being really uncomfortable with uncertainty. And the reality is life is uncertain. So a lot of the book is about saying, look, actually, we have to just really accept that the world isn't predictable. And we've certainly known that in the last couple of years in particular with the pandemic and with lots of different things. But actually, it's always been the case. It's always been the case that, uh, you know, we don't know if we're going to get ill next week, we might lose our job, you know, we might lose a friend. We just don't know. So so in, in many ways, we have to learn to get more used to uncertainty. Yeah. And we all have these coping strategies. And as you say, we turn to the same ones over and over. And I don't like uncertainty any more than anybody else does. As a therapist, I can recognize what some of my patterns are. Like ever since I was a little kid, if I would just ask somebody, what do you think is going to happen? And somebody would tell me like, 
I lived in Maine and it was snowy and I didn't like school. So if I thought maybe there's no school tomorrow, I would ask my parents, what are the chances there's going to be no school? I knew they had no idea either. But if they said to me, there's probably not school tomorrow, I was fine. Exactly. If they said there probably will be. So I would just ask somebody and I still do that. Or if I, if I woke up tomorrow and my kneecap hurt, I would Google search 8 million things until I figured out, all right, it's yes. either just arthritis, I slept on it wrong, or I'm about to die of bone cancer. But as long as I kind of know what the potential options are, then I think, exactly. all right, then then it becomes a little easier to handle. But what other kinds of things do people do to handle uncertainty that maybe isn't a good idea or it ultimately backfires on us? Well, I think it's it's one of the things. So we, we've done a lot of studies on uncertainty and, and, and people do differ quite a lot from each other. And it's called, it's called in psychology intolerance to uncertainty. So some people are much more intolerant than, than others. So a, a key thing that people try and do, which isn't very successful, is worry. So simply worry. Um, and of course, worry is a way of trying to control all of the what ifs, you know, what, what if I get bone cancer, you know, what if it slows tomorrow, what if all these things. And of course, that's endless. If you think about it, there's no way you can possibly know. I mean, none of us can know. Um, so actually, those kind of what if questions and worrying try, as, a, as a solution is just not very effective. Um, particularly people who are quite anxious often have a strong belief that it is an effective solution. That, that's part of the problem, that you know, people will use worry as a way to solve a problem. But actually, all it does really is drain you of, of energy. You know, it just really saps your, your energy and doesn't actually solve the problem. So it kind of makes it worse. Other things people try and do is they'll excessively seek reassurance. So you know, they'll constantly ask you for reassurance to your friends. Do you still love me? Do you still, are you still my friend? You know, they'll constantly seek reassurance, constantly checking things, repeatedly checking things out. Um, procrastination, I mean, it's a classic one. So that's kind of trying to avoid making a decision, which is it's kind of a way of, you know, because once you make a decision, you never really know is it the right one or not. Um, and that's one of the things I argue in the book in Switchcraft is that, you know, um, unlike the kind of tests you might do in school or in university, the kind of decisions and the things you do in life um, never really have a clear right or wrong answer. You know, there might be three or four different solutions or three or four different decisions you can make. And you never really know if you've made the right one. You know, if you did something else, it might have actually been better. You know, you might have got a job that you love and you're doing really well at. But actually, maybe there was another opportunity that actually you might have preferred more. You just you just never, never know. So, so you know, all of those things are, are kind of really important. Um, but there's, so there's lots of different things we can do to try and help us deal with uncertainty, which is actually a, a much more effective thing. And I think one of the first things is just learning to accept uh, the unknown. So really accepting that life is uncertain. And, and you'd be surprised at how many people, it seems very straightforward, but, uh, you know, you'd be, well, you, you probably wouldn't be surprised, Amy, because I know you do a lot of counselling and psychotherapy and, uh, and you know, a lot of people genuinely just try and make the world very predictable and don't really accept the uncertainty. And I think it's crucial that we do accept that kind of degree of uncertainty. So, you know, allowing ourselves to feel it. And there are evidence-based techniques. So like mindfulness, for example, is one way where you can kind of learn to um, feel very uncertain or even, even imagine your worst fears and just feel what that's like. And then realize these are just thoughts. It's, it's, I often think of it as like um, thoughts are sometimes like trains passing through a station in the night. So it's, you know, it looms in the distance, it comes in, it's suddenly in your focus, and then it moves away. So once you learn that actually these things are just thoughts, and they don't necessarily bear any relation to reality, and that could be an, just an important thing to, to kind of understand. Um, so kind of trying to let go of the what-ifs, 
you know, rather than getting caught up in what might happen, focusing very much on on the present and focusing on what you can control is, I suppose, a key thing. It's one of those things where, you know, what can I actually do in the present to to make my situation better, you know, rather than focusing on the what ifs and in, in the future and all the kind of disastrous things that might happen. It's tough to do, isn't it? Especially when you're waiting on something that it could be life altering. Maybe you're waiting for a phone call from somebody about whether you got a job and you're exactly. on the fence. Am I going to move? Yeah. Am I going to uproot my entire life or not? Waiting and being uncertain is tough. Absolutely. Or if you're waiting, if you're waiting for a phone call from a doctor, could be good news, could be bad news, might Absolutely. Not be no news at all. Waiting during times of uncertainty, it's almost excruciating at times as you think it my is. entire life is hinging and we want to go ahead and make plans for the future, but you can't until you know what's going to happen and you don't know what's going to happen. And often we're not in control of that timeline of when we get that information or when we find out. Absolutely. And so you mentioned some things that can work. Sometimes it's just accepting it. Sometimes it's mindfulness. Are there any other strategies when you find yourself worrying about all the what ifs? Is there something more productive that you could do? I think I think certainly, I mean, there's a whole range of things in terms of uh, worrying. I mean, there's things like uh, giving yourself a worry period, for example, is surprisingly effective. So just saying that at a certain time every day, I'm going to worry, maybe give yourself 20 minutes and you have a license to worry about to your heart's content, to whatever you like, but actually then just don't worry any other time. And that, again, sounds kind of trivial, but when you try something like that, it actually is surprisingly effective because you think if you start kind of worrying, you think, well, okay, I can put that off till my time, which is coming up. Um, so that's a simple kind of thing you can do. Um, another kind of thing you can do is to really um, like plan uncertainty, actually do little things that we call kind of behavioral experiments. So actually deliberately plan things that are going to be uncertain to test out some of your beliefs about uncertainty. Because, for example, a lot of people actually have a kind of belief that uncertainty is always a bad thing. It's always going to work out badly. But actually, as you know, it doesn't. You know, sometimes, like as you said, sometimes you're waiting for a phone call, which might be good news, might be bad news. You actually don't know. It's an ambiguous situation. And obviously, all of us tend to focus on the negative, which is, again, makes sense to a lot of extent. I mean, the negative has bigger consequences often than the positive. So, you know, it's, it's a natural thing. But we can get caught up in that and we can kind of really get into this loop of never being able to get away from that. So actually kind of trying to plan uncertainty. Um, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about this, actually, when I was a really young child, um, I was good friends with a cousin of mine. And I remember she moved to a kind of a housing estate in, in Dublin. I grew up in Dublin. And um, it was a really confusing place because all the houses looked the same. You know, all the streets looked the same. And we used to go off and probably called get lost walks. We used to literally just go off and we loved it as little young kids. You know, um, they were obviously very safe times. Our parents didn't worry about us going off wandering around these streets. And, but we literally, we would get totally lost and it would take us ages to come back. But actually, we loved it. And it's that kind of, you know, actually sometimes going out and doing things where you don't really know what's going to happen and deliberately planning uncertainty can actually be quite fun. Sometimes you discover that actually you discover things you may not have known about, uh, you know. And so I think, again, and this is where the kind of flexibility comes in. It's kind of flexibility is linked a lot to um, kind of openness to experience and being open to trying, exploring new things, being curious about things. Um, and that can actually be really helpful for us. You know, it's uh, um, I know you're interested in, in um, you know, mental strength and where mental strength comes from. And and I think one of the things like mental agility definitely gives you mental strength because it diversifies your mind. So in Switchcraft, I talk a lot about that. that there's no 
one size fits all. You know, there's a lot of evidence-based um, techniques for lots of things. But the key is that actually there isn't a single solution to every problem. Um, the, again, when I say that, it sounds very obvious, but actually we all try. We either go for mindfulness or we go for growth mindset or we'll try and pick. We're looking for the one solution that's going to solve all our problems. And of course, there isn't one. It's, you know, mindfulness is great for certain kinds of situations, but it can really backfire and it can have very negative consequences in, in other situations. So it's really, Switchcraft is about finding the right solution for the right problem at the right time. I liked in your book too, you talked about like a set of golf clubs. You can't use yes. the same club for, Absolutely. <laughs> for everything. And well, same exactly. thing, if we, if we have these different tools to use and then to know which one to use when and when to Absolutely. try something and, and maybe not. No, exactly. And in the book, you also talk about how we can build up a tolerance to uncertainty, which is what you say is to, to yeah. try to do something uncertain on purpose. As an adult, what are some examples of how we might plan something that's uncertain? Right. Um, well, I think you could certainly like even something like maybe going to a restaurant with a type of food you've never eaten before. So you may never have eaten Indian food, for example. So just say, OK, I'll go and I'll just try it. I've no idea what it's going to be like. I might hate it. It might be really nice, but I'll go and try it. So, you know, something simple like that. Um, you know, listening to different perspectives is really important. So, um, you know, actually, you know, I know it's it's <laughs> often makes you very angry, but following people, say, on social media whose opinions you know you're going to really disagree with, you know, and and, and I've often done that, actually. And it's, it's actually quite a good mental exercise because you start seeing things from other people's perspectives. And even though, you know, you're probably not going to change your mind about things, it just gives you a kind of an insight that actually people do think about these kind of things in, in very different ways. So I think you know, that's just exposing yourself to a bit of uncertainty in, in, in some ways. Um, so I think there's lots of things like that we can do that could just really, you know, just really kind of get out of your comfort zone, I suppose, is the, is the idea. Just do things you normally wouldn't do, um, you know, try out things. And more often than not, you might find you actually quite enjoy them. You know, and particularly if you're somebody who's very intolerant of uncertainty, if you really think, oh, any uncertainty is going to be bad, you know, sometimes actually, um, you know, or even if, if you can kind of get somebody to surprise you. So, I mean, I worked, I, get, I tell the story in one book of a person I did some executive coaching with, and uh, she had become extremely kind of rigid in her, her thinking and, and really didn't like uncertainty at all and was constantly contacting her husband because she was worried that something might have happened to him. So literally he would be sitting at work and he would be getting these constant kind of phone calls. You know, she really just didn't like that uncertainty. Um, and she wanted everything to be predictable. And one of the exercises we started doing is like he would just turn up very unexpectedly sometimes and take her out for lunch. So, you know, he would arrive at her office at 12 o'clock, say, come on, we're going out for lunch. And, uh, you know, and suddenly that was something uncertain. She hadn't planned that in her day. And she was the kind of person who would plan out everything in, in absolute detail, literally from kind of half hour to half hour. Um, but actually, she discovered that actually it was really good fun. You know, she went out to lunch. She, she had a nice time. Um, so just gradually doing things like that and learning that actually uncertainty isn't all was a bad thing. Sometimes it is. Sometimes, you know, we get bad news, but actually sometimes being uncertain is, is quite nice and, and the unexpected things can be quite fun. And I like that example. So I guess I like several of those examples. So for one, following people maybe on social media that you wouldn't follow. And if it's, let's say you can't really, you think you can't stand following somebody with a completely different political view, maybe yes. you just follow somebody that has some different like 
diet or fitness tips, things that you exactly. that you think are a little bit different exactly. just to build up your tolerance. And then I like that idea too of saying, you know, let's let's kind of plan uncertainty. For a lot of people, I wonder if they would then worry that they have either like blown their entire budget if they go out to lunch unexpectedly or that their their diet would go completely off the rails if they did one thing and they hadn't planned ahead, right? So to exactly. find that balance of how do you make sure that in life, yes, you might plan for certain things and maybe you have a budget and maybe you know what your calorie intake is going to yes. be for the week, but there's always going to be things in life that derail us anyway, things that get in Absolutely. the way so that you have to suddenly take a sharp left turn. So what an interesting idea to plan some of those things out for yourself. Absolutely. So deliberately, deliberately kind of plan them. And I think one of the things you learn with all of that is, is that like, one of the things I really talk about is, is, is kind of mental diversity. So as you said, like there isn't a single solution to everything, but actually mental diversity comes from the more experiences we have. So if we physically travel, you know, but it's also mental travel. So things like, you know, listening to different perspectives on social media, for example, or listening to maybe documentaries about things you, you, you're not particularly interested in. So just you're gradually getting all of these different perspectives, having different experiences. That builds up your mental diversity. So, and what that does, it, it actually kind of, over time, almost without knowing it, you kind of learn that actually, even though things might go slightly wrong, usually it works out pretty well. You know, that's the thing. So as you said, you might have your calorie control worked out for the week. You might have your budget worked out for the week. But actually, you know, sometimes if those things go a bit wrong, as long as you don't do that consistently, it's actually not going to make that much difference. You know, you might have, you might be at a friend and go and, and go in and, I don't know, have a chocolate cake or something, you know, and, and okay, that may, that may blow your diet for that week or that day. But actually over time, over a month, it's not going to make much difference. And, and the more experience you have in life, um, you know, the more you kind of realize that. So, so I think mental diversity and building up diversity is, is really important. And, and a good analogy for that is, you know, in, in really tough and uncertain times, finance managers always tell us that the, the sensible thing to do is diversify. You know, don't put all your investment in one basket. And, and I've kind of said, well, it's exactly the same with life. You know, in, in very uncertain and unpredictable times, don't just try the same thing all the time. You know, actually, we, we need to be a bit more diverse. You need to, as you said, you know, I use the golf analogy. So we need to have a few more clubs in our basket, if you like, to try and make sure we have a solution for whatever life throws at us. Yeah. And different ways of looking at things like for every person who says good things come to those who wait, you'll find plenty of people who say, no, you have to get out there and make things happen. Exactly. Absolutely. And it's not the same in every scenario. Absolutely. There are times in life where you sit back and wait and times when you have to step up and make something happen. Exactly. But it's so easy to get caught up into certain ways of thinking, certain philosophies, or we Absolutely. think I'm going to have this strategy for life. And it doesn't work in every exactly. situation that we find ourselves in. No, absolutely. And that's one of the things that, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, sticking or switching. So, you know, I think one of the, the really key questions we often have to ask ourselves is, do I stick with what I'm doing or do I switch? And if I switch, you know, what do I switch to? And, and hence switchcraft. That's where the name comes from, really. So, that, you know, so the, the more experience we have, the more diverse we are, the more likely we'll be to make the right decision more often. You won't get a right 100% of the time. I mean, that's just it's probably impossible. But actually, you know, uh, using kind of switchcraft, the chances are that you will be able to make the right decision more often than not. And sometimes, as you say, that decision is to stick. You know, sometimes actually sticking with something and really, you know, just working hard for something is really good. And it's, it's you know, very persistent and grittiness and it's a good thing. Um, but sometimes actually that might be just you know, banging your head against a brick wall, if you like. It's kind of, you might be 
doing something that clearly isn't going anywhere. And at some point, you need to make that decision that actually this isn't really working out. So I really do need to make a switch to something else, whether it's in your work life or your love life or whatever it is. You know, it's it's just one of those things we have to make that decision. Yeah, because I think sometimes we get caught up into thinking, well, I'm not the kind of person who quits. And then we exactly. put up with something because we declare ourselves the kind of person who or the kind of person who would exactly. never. And then we feel like if we do something different in one situation, that that's that we're not being true to who we are. But really, we're just maybe problem solving a little bit differently. No, absolutely. And I think you're right. I mean, I think as it's, it's often a good thing to kind of not quit. But but actually, there are times when, you know, I think we've all probably had those situations where we stayed with something much longer than we probably should have. You know, sometimes it might be a job, it might be a relationship, it might be whatever. But, you know, when you look back and you think, oh, why did I stay for so long in that situation? You know, it's it's a, I should have really I should have quit in that situation. So and that's really what it's, it's about. That's what mental agility is really about. And another thing I liked in your book is you talked about the importance of reading fiction. Can you talk about yes. how that can be helpful to us? Well, yeah, I love that. So there's um, so there's a lot of research, actually. There's a, good, a lot of psychological research on this. And it's about really, again, trying to understand bit different people's perspectives. So really getting into different perspectives, seeing things from different points of view. And there's a lot of kind of exercises we can get from talking therapy to help us do that. But actually, what the evidence shows is that actually reading fiction is also a really good way of doing that. And when you think about it, it makes sense. Because if you're reading a novel of some sort, you're really getting into the main character's head. You're all seeing it from their perspective, you know, and you might have a very different perspective, but actually when you immerse yourself in a book like that, you're really living that person's life. You're walking in their shoes, you're seeing things as they're seeing them. Um, And that's really good mental training, actually, for your brain, because you're really learning to see things from a different perspective. And particularly if you read a book where the main character is maybe very different from you, that's particularly powerful because, of course, now you're really forcing yourself to kind of, and, and I suppose, sorry to divert slightly, but that's one of the things I think it's a mistake a lot of us make. So we tend to live in bubbles and we tend to talk to like-minded people, read like-minded stuff, um, follow like-minded people on social media. And that's kind of part of the idea of, of deliberately going to groups where, you know, actually, I'm not really going to agree with what these people are saying, or I'm not particularly interested in what they're talking about. And it's the same with, say, reading fiction. If you read fiction, um, say, a character you know is very unlike you, and it's probably not going to be like you in any way, and really then trying to immerse yourself in that character, how they're seeing things, that's actually excellent training to really make your brain more flexible and more agile, and uh, which can be really helpful in, in everyday life. It can. And I know a lot of people who will think that reading fiction is either a waste of time, like I'm not learning anything, or they think it's too self-indulgent, like I don't have time to do that, but they would read a a nonfiction book. So I'm glad that you said that and that we can get into somebody else's head. How often do we really get to hear what somebody else is thinking other than when you're reading a book? Exactly. And a good a good writer, you know, will be able to really write that well so you can really immerse yourself. But um, obviously, I should say people should still read nonfiction. Don't, don't give up on nonfiction. That's right. <laughs> and you talk to it's not just about flexibility in terms of how we think, but also some emotional agility and knowing when it makes sense to work through a feeling versus when we should reduce the intensity of a feeling. Can you Absolutely. talk just a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So I think uh, you know, I, I should have said there's three things really in in kind of with agility. So it's 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 being flexible, uh, but not not being flexible just for the sake of it. It's being flexible in a very informed way, as you said, to find the right solution. So there's three things that are really important. One is being very aware of your situation. One is being very aware of yourself. So having a better 
understanding of yourself. And the other is emotional awareness. So really understanding your emotions. And I think a lot of us try to um, suppress negative emotions in particular, you know, so we don't like to feel angry or fearful. Um, and actually those emotions are telling us something, you know, emotions are highly informative. So we need to learn, I think, to listen to those negative emotions. And it kind of goes back a little bit to what we were saying earlier about learning to be more uncomfortable, you know, learning to deal with uncomfortable feelings because a lot of life is uncomfortable. And, you know, I, I work with a lot of elite sports people. So, um, you know, people, Olympic athletes, for example, um, and, you know, they are living physically in, in a lot of discomfort a lot of the time. So the, the level of training that uh, an Olympic athlete has to do is not actually healthy. It's not very good for you, really. It's, it's a huge amount of training. There's always going to be aches and pains. You're always going to be uncomfortable. And so I think, you know, if you want to really perform at a very high level in, in something, you need to learn to be kind of uncomfortable to, to some extent. Um, so I think learning to experience those negative emotions is just really important. Again, not letting them overwhelm you, but actually experiencing them and not being frightened of them and, 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 and learning the lesson of what are they telling you? Like if, if you're feeling angry, um, like what does that actually mean? That like anger is there for a good reason. Anger is generally an emotion that comes when somebody has, has kind of um, stepped in your territory, if you like, in some way. It might be your personal territory or, or your physical territory, whatever. But you know, that anger is telling you something. It's telling you, oh, somebody's overstepped the mark. They're just, you know, um, so sometimes you can learn a lot by just listening to that. And also, of course, tuning in more to the positive emotions. So some people, I think, are very skeptical about the power of positive emotions and curiosity and joy and happiness and all of those kind of things. Um, but actually, again, there's a lot of good evidence that those kind of emotions are also really powerful and having positive experiences is is very uh, um, empowering and, you know, very important for our general well-being. So I think really just learning to accept both all of our emotions, both the negative ones as well as the positive ones is, is really important and opening ourselves to that a little bit more is, is really important. Yeah. And I think we all have sort of different tolerances for different emotions. Like exactly. sometimes people find embarrassment to be the worst, most difficult emotion yeah. in the world. <laughs> and other people would say like anxiety is intolerable or whatever yes. it is. But to know what is it that that all of us can work on experiencing just a little more of or tolerating it a little bit longer? Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I hate embarrassment. That's probably is one of the worst emotions for me. And you're right. We all have different. And I think that's one of the things. If you identify a particular feeling that you really don't like, that's one, a good one to work on, actually. We really almost explore that. And because I'm not saying people should, should dwell too much on emotions and kind of start ruminating on emotions, but it's just being able to experience these emotions and learning what they're actually telling you. So kind of, it's, it's kind of tuning into intuition a little bit, I suppose, in, in a way as well, because emotions are often the signals that something in the world is not right so, so, or is right, you know, it, whether it's a positive or a negative emotion. And sometimes we, we tend to ignore that. We don't really listen to our emotions. We, we miss that. And again, if you, if you, that's why that feeds back into agility because emotions are often telling you um, whether the decision to switch or stick is, is which one to go for. So if you're constantly feeling bad and not feeling good and, but you're still sticking with, say, a job you're not really enjoying, that emotion is telling you something. You know, and it's, it's maybe saying, actually, you really should start thinking about switching. I like that. One last question for you then. What's one thing that you're working on in, in your life to become more mentally agile? 
Well, well, I suppose I'm trying to be a little bit, uh, just a bit more open, I suppose, in in general, just in terms. And it's it's kind of interesting because I've, I've just um, I've just moved to Australia, having lived in Oxford for a long time. So actually, it's kind of quite easy at the moment because everything is new. And I'm discovering that even though we have the same language, um, there's so many words in Australia I've never heard of. And this, <laughs> so it's it's kind of so I'm I'm trying to just be open to that, um, exploring Australian culture a little bit more. Um, so yeah, just just trying to you know uh, talk to a whole range of people, find out. I, I actually I'm reading a couple of Australian novels up to get into that kind of mindset. So yeah, so just to understand more where I'm living, but also I think just to open my mind a bit more to a different kind of perspective on things. <laughs> Certainly, moving to a different country qualifies as something that would challenge you to become very agile. I love it. It does. It does. <laughs> Well, Elaine Fox, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. I hope all of our listeners go and get a copy of your book, Switchcraft, The Hidden Power of Mental Agility. That's great. Thanks very much, Amy. Nice, fun talking to you. Welcome to The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Dr. Fox's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here are three strategies you can try to increase your mental agility. Number one, accept uncertainty. There are so many things outside of your control. Tolerating that, though, can be really tough. And you likely have strategies that you use when certainty feels uncomfortable. If you're like me, you might research something so much that you could easily become obsessive. Like when you're trying to figure out what that bump on your knee could mean and you have to wait two weeks to see the doctor. Or you might avoid things altogether when you aren't confident how they're going to turn out. Dr. Fox says we should take a step back sometimes and recognize what's within our control and what isn't. You can control how well you prepare for a job interview but you can't control whether you get hired. Or you can control how you deal with the weather, but you can't control whether it's going to rain, no matter how much you keep looking at the weather app. Sometimes it's helpful to just remind yourself things are uncertain, that feels uncomfortable, and it's okay to be uncomfortable. Then move on and focus on the things that you can control. Number two, follow people on social media that you don't necessarily agree with. That idea runs a bit contrary to other advice you hear out there that tells you to stop following people whose opinions you don't like. There are a lot of people who will insist that someone who offers information you don't agree with might be toxic and it's bad for your mental health. But that's some rigid thinking. If you want to be more psychologically flexible, be open to learning from other people. That doesn't mean that you have to agree with or follow their advice, but you can learn about their viewpoint or develop a better understanding of how they formed their opinion. You might learn a lot about yourself in the process. Does reading information you disagree with cause you to feel angry? Does it cause you to feel anxious? Do you have trouble tolerating those feelings? Do you feel like you need to leave a comment expressing your own opinion back? Seeing content that you disagree with and learning to tolerate the feelings that come up might be a good way to stretch your mind and your emotions. And number three, read fiction books. I love that Dr. Fox suggested we read fiction. I admit that I read a lot of nonfiction because I read the books that our podcast guest wrote. But I love to read fiction, and it's great to know that reading fiction isn't just an indulgence. You can learn a lot about the way other people think, how they solve problems, and what their opinions are by reading fiction books. Most people will say, but I don't have time to read. But if we're honest, we do. We all have time to read if we want to. We just have to prioritize it over things like scrolling through the internet, watching TV, or playing games. You might set a goal to read 10 pages a day. And over time, you might find that you want to read a lot more than that. 
So those are three of Dr. Fox's strategies that can increase your psychological flexibility. Accept uncertainty, follow people you don't necessarily agree with on social media, and read fiction books. To hear more of Dr. Fox's tips, check out her new book, Switchcraft. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.